Uh, so we're in a series. We've been, we've been spending the month of February talking about faith, four weeks of faith in February. Uh, specifically, we've been talking about defining faith. That is not just defining what faith is, but looking at faith as something that defines us. This week, we're going to look at five friends to fortify your faith. <laughs> Say that five times. <laughs> and so, uh, so uh, what, <laughs> I, 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 there are some anchors that we can have in our lives that help us, help define us. Our faith is certainly one of those things that define us. Our, um, our gifts are something in a way that define us. Our understanding of God is, it, it certainly defines us, but the people that we do life with defines us more strongly than just about any other, than any other thing. Our family defines us. Our friends define us. Our faith defines us. Our fitness defines us. Our no, I'm just kidding. I, I got nothing else. Um, but, uh, but to introduce this idea today, I want to say that when I, when I pray for Sterling, when I pray for us as a congregation, my hope is not that God uh, only uses what happens from the stage to impact the community. You know, certainly I would love to be a remarkable preacher. I would love to. I'm not going to, like, I would love to be just amazing. But I don't want that to be the thing that grows our congregation. I want our worship to be over the top and inspiring. I want people to be impacted deeply in times of worship so that even if you don't know what worship is, like, where else do people sing songs together? Really? So worship is kind of a distinct thing. But so even if you come in and you don't know what's happening or you don't know why it's happening, you encounter something different. You encounter the presence of the living God. I want that to be a thing that marks us. But the thing that I want to really define us is, is us together doing the work of ministry with one another. I want it to be us working together as friends and family, loving one another, serving one another, to be the thing that defines us to the community. Uh, there's, a, uh, there's a saying that, you know, it's not just the pastor, but the members are the ministers. And so today I'm going to talk primarily about, about how that can become a reality for us as a congregation by highlighting some of the friendships that I believe that we all need. This is in no way, shape, or form a, uh, an exhaustive uh, list. Um, and so you can feel free to add friends to this list after we go through it and, um, and, and look for these friends. But uh, we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And if we make it through with enough time, I'm going to highlight some ways that friends are like nachos. <laughs> I've got, got a little list here. So if we make it through, and if, if y'all don't distract me, talk about nachos. <laughs> Mark chapter 2. Verses 1 through 5. And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many, this is Jesus, they're speaking of Jesus. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they, had, when they had an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. 
This is God's word to us. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word. I ask that you would inspire us today, that faith would rise up in our soul, and we would be excited about the things that you have stored up for us in one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, This account continues, and after a little spat with the Pharisees, after a little spat with the religious rulers about whether or not he could heal people on on this day, um, he says, um, uh, the paralytic is healed. Jesus says to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And the paralytic rises up, picks up his bed, and went out, walked out in front of everybody. Sometimes when we hear an account from Scripture, especially when there are miracles, we begin to either begin to think that it's mythological, that it's a story, that it's a fable, or, or that it's a parable. It's just a story or an account that's made up to teach us a lesson. Certainly, there's, Jesus used parables to teach us and instruct us, but this is an account. This is one of those things that, that actually occurred, and it actually occurred with actual people. That's the other obstacle that we have to get over when we read the Bible is, is understanding that when we read this, these are real people with real emotions and real families and real trouble and real struggle, real pain, real hope, real excitement, real joy, real salvation, real healing. Uh, Thomas Jefferson found this to be so difficult. He tried to have a version of the Bible where they took out all the miracles because miracles don't happen. But on, a, but on a faith that hinges on the death, burial, and rising from the dead of God, um, I'm one to say, let's just go all in with the miracles. (laughs) Let's just go all in with, with a God who still speaks today. Let's go all in with a God who still heals today. Let's go all in with a God who, who can do miraculous things today. And he does do miraculous things today because that's the kind of faith that we, we have at Grace Covenant. We have an expectation for miracles. We have an expect, there's, there's, there's carative and curative approaches to ministry. Carative is like, life's tough and we'll just take care of you as long as we're here living tough life. But there's also this curative thing where you can believe that the Holy Spirit will actually change the circumstance that you're in. He'll change your body. He'll change your heart. He'll change your mind and actually change your, you know, even up to your blood composition to, to help you walk in the fullness that Christ intends for you to walk in. And certainly there's a place for both of those in our Christian walk. Um, so, so in this story, we have real people with real circumstances. And I just want to draw out one little part and, and speak from this one part that these four men carried the paralytic to Jesus because the paralytic couldn't get to him otherwise. And I want to, I want to ask this question. Do you have four people in your life that could carry you to Jesus in your time of need? C.S. Lewis says that friendship is born at the time where one man says to another, um, you too? I thought I was the only one. And certainly that's the inception, the beginning of friendship, but friendship must be nurtured and it must be cared for. It must be developed. I want to talk about uh, five friends because when you consider that there are four friends carrying the mat, one on the mat, there are five people in this account. And I'm really going to use it to talk about seven people because I'm cheating. But we'll get, you'll see it when we get there. It actually, it might be six. The first friend that you need is the friend who had the idea to take you up on a roof 
and cut the hole in Jesus' roof while he's teaching a class and lower you down in front of the teacher while the whole crowd is standing around. You need a friend with radical, crazy faith. The person who has almost no sense, (laughs) except for they've made it this long so you know they've got enough. It's the person who doesn't understand an obstacle. You're like, hey, we got to go on this missions trip. That's $10,000. And? Right? Don't yuck my yum. Come on, Debbie Downer, let's go. It's time, to, it's time to go. They don't know a dead body. They just see bodies that have to be resurrected. They don't see broken people. They just see people that haven't been healed yet. Right? This is your person with, with so much faith. They're just ready to run through a wall and do everything and anything that it takes to see God move on your behalf. You need one of those friends in your life. Do you have one? Maybe you're that friend. I was told earlier this week that I'm that friend to some, to some of my friends. And, and it's just kind of like, you, you can call me and be like, hey, it's all going to the pot. And I'm like, let's go. I'm good for a fight. I'll fight as long as we've got to fight. I'll just wear myself out fighting. Let's go. Come on. I got faith for this. I, I can believe for this. I'll believe for your marriage. I'll believe for your, for your healing. I'll believe for your child. I'll believe for your spouse. I'll believe for, your, I'll believe for the thing that you're done believing for. I'll believe for your finances. Come on. I almost don't care what's happened yet. Because I know that Jesus rose from the dead. That happened in the past. And that gives me infinite hope for the future for you. And so you got to have that crazy faith friend. A lot of F's today. You need that refining friend who's like, yeah, that's a good idea to get him to Jesus. But I guarantee you, lowering him through the roof on a pad was not the first idea that the big faith friend had. The first idea the big faith friend had was, let's light the house on fire. Jesus will come out. (laughs) And then when he comes out, you'll be laying on the mat and he'll be like, oh, y'all heal you. Because that's how the big faith friend saw the whole thing working out. (laughs) The refining friend, now I'm just making all this up, right? Like that's not what the Bible says at all. Just to clarify, don't hang your like doctrine on what I just said. That's your special punishment for me (laughs) if I didn't put that qualifier in there. So so the the refining friend is your friend with wisdom who says, hey, that is a wonderful idea to get this person in front of Jesus through unorthodox ways. Maybe. Maybe we should lower him slowly because big faith was like, let's just drop him through the roof. This <laughs> is peel it back and drop him through and he'll be right in front of you. If he gets hurt, Jesus will heal him with that too. Not a big deal. Jesus got this. Refining friend, wise friend goes, hmm, I'll go further than I would go otherwise because you're, you're stirring my faith. I'm going to go further than I wanted to because I wanted to be cautious. You want to be passionate for today? I want to be wise for tomorrow. 
and, but, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step out and go somewhere that I wouldn't necessarily go. I will raise this money for the missions trip because you've stirred my faith and I can see how God could use me. I will give money to this conference because I, I think that God might be willing to use these resources to advance the kingdom and the lives of college students. So they need each other. You see how that feeds off one another? And so you need, you need this friend who can refine the idea and offer wisdom to the idea. If you're the big faith person, you hate this person. They rain on your parade. And it's like, get off me. And it is the Holy Spirit for your life to rein that in and keep you safe. I had ridiculous things that I wanted to do for the sake of Jesus when I was in college. I still have ridiculous things I want to do. But Pastor Daryl Morrison, who planted the church in Phoenix, Arizona, just about a year and a half ago, was my wise friend. He was my leader and wise friend. Because I had heard some stories about what other people had done for the sake of evangelism. And I was like, I, t- I'm, I want to do that. And it's going to be amazing. And he's like, no, that's idiotic. And you need, to not, you need to not do that. It's a bad idea. But I read about it somewhere. And he's like, but you don't know how it went. And I'm like, God will take care of that. And he's like, no. And I'm fine. I'll just carry a six-foot-two cross around on campus on Holy Week. And won't tell you about it until Wednesday. And then I'm already committed to it, so you got to deal with it. We need our refining friends. We need that faith that manifests itself as wisdom. Your next friend's the I've got a guy friend. You need a friend who's got a guy. I'm not that guy. I don't have a guy for anything. But I got some guys that got guys. And it doesn't matter what I need. I could need like a t-shirt made, a postcard designed. You know, I could need my yard mowed, my house re-shingled. You know, a way across the border without being seen. I got a guy. Just kidding about that last part. I forgot this is online for a second. It's not true. I don't need to get across the border for anything except for missions, and we use passports for that. So we got a missions meeting today after the service. We'd love for you to be there. I'm going to talk about going to Poland legally because I got a guy can help you get a passport, a legal one, for real. Like, it takes six weeks. It's a process. <laughs> this connector friend is the one who's going to connect you to the Word in ways that you wouldn't have connected otherwise. The connector one's the one who knows a testimony about somebody in your circumstance Your connector friend's the one that knows the word so well. They're able to draw this thing out and point you to the word and help you find encouragement in the word for the situation that you're in. They're able to help you connect with God in deep and meaningful ways that you weren't able to connect with God on your own otherwise. You know, when you're kind of of drowning under the circumstance, they're able to say, I've got this. This was the guy who's like, hey, I got a hatchet and I got some rope. I got a guy who's got a pad. We can lower him down instead of dropping him in. That's who he was in the story. In our lives, it's the one who helps carry us through. I know somebody who's been through that. Let me introduce you. I don't, have this, I don't have the answer for you, but I know someone who does. 
I'm sorry I can't help you with your finances, but I know someone who can help you get connected and help you with this class. David and Karen Montgomery lead financial peace. I'm not going to be a good financial planner for you, but he's got a lot of experience and he can teach you and train you in some ways that will help you come out of debt because God's going to help use him to define your faith related to your finances. So we need these connecting friends, these connector friends. You also need a gluten-free friend in your life. (laughs) Don't judge me. I'll be your gluten-free friend if you need. The gluten-free friend is the person who's sensitive to things that nobody else is sensitive to. (laughs) Everybody else in the world can have this thing. Except for the person who has to eat gluten-free. Because their body rejects this thing that is perfectly wonderful for everybody else on earth. For the 7.8 billion people on the world can eat gluten. But they can't. And um, that's your friend who's sensitive to things. Actually, there's no gluten-free friend in this story. That's just the fourth friend. (laughs) We'll come up with a way to tie it together. But uh, this is your friend who's sensitive to things that you're not sensitive to. This is your friend that's sensitive to things that everybody else has just accepted and, and, and thinks is normal. This is the friend that doesn't go to the movie because it would grieve them. It's the friend that has to walk away when the conversation turns. You might not have even noticed you have this friend because they tend to disappear when things are difficult. Or not, not when things are difficult. They tend to, 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 to disappear when, when things begin to, to press on their spirit and grieve them and trouble them because they can't participate in that conversation. They'll walk away from the water cooler because they're not comfortable with that conversation or that idea. I'm not talking about being overly sensitive to things that are, are, are good or, or like socially uncomfortable. I'm talking about the one who is sensitive to the things of the Spirit and is not satisfied to, to go where God wouldn't want to go. Because there are some places that we want to go that the Holy Spirit is not interested in going with you. There are some movies that God doesn't want to go with you to see. There are some environments that God doesn't want you to be in. Your sensitive friend's the one who goes, I'm I'm just not sure that's right. Now, if you are the gluten-free friend, I want to encourage you uh, not not to force that sensitivity on other people. You can't do that. That's what the Holy Spirit is for. Simply by walking in accordance with the conviction that you have helps you fulfill the role that you have in our life. Simply by being faithful to what God is convicting you to do. Day in and day out, week in and week out, you're fulfilling your responsibility of being the gluten-free friend to us. By helping make us aware of things that we otherwise would have just accepted. You ever been in that situation? You know, like everybody's playing in the movie. Let's go see this movie. It's going to be real great. And then somebody's like, has anybody, you know, is there any nudity or, or, you know, sexual content? Everybody's like, oh, man, you know, here we go. You know, you need that. You need that friend. That's sensitive to language. Even if you're not, you need that friend who's sensitive to violence. Even if you're not. It doesn't mean that you're not allowed to or not free to 
go and, and, and see something so long as it's, it, it falls within certain parameters. Obviously, I'd say don't, don't, don't give your money and your resources and your time to movies that prioritize or that, that highlight sex and nudity and all these other things. Don't give your time to that. But there are other things that, you know, hey, you're just not comfortable doing. I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm free to do this. And not because I'm ignoring Scripture, but because I, I feel freedom in God to do this. There are places and environments that I can go into freely that friends of mine can't. Maybe because of their past, maybe, maybe because of their family's past. They're like, I can't, I can't go there. I'm not comfortable to do that. But when I go, I, I feel the pleasure of God being there because I'm there to represent him. The next friend is the one who was on the mat. And I'm going to use this friend to represent three people. So I guess we have one, two, three, four, five, six people. This fifth friend, I want to draw out three lessons. One, there's a time where we need to follow our friends. It's funny, we don't have any idea if this guy actually wanted to go or not. <laughs> the four of them were like, no, I really sense, <laughs> the gluten-free friend was like, I sense by the Holy Spirit that this is a good thing. That's how they tie us into the story. The big faith friend's like, come on, we gotta go. Wisdom friend's like, this seems right. Connecting friends like, clearly God's supplied everything that we need for this trip. Let's do it. Gluten-free friends like, even I don't have a problem with this. I'm sorry. It's naturally gluten-free. I eat gluten-free, by the way, in case you're wondering. We need to follow. We at some time will have to take the place of follower. Really at all times we ought to be willing to follow. We should always have people who are further along than us in life. I was talking to, um, to Mark. I don't know if he's here, but you know, he, he sent me an article about be the weakest man in a gym. And that's how you get to be the strongest. So you put yourself around people who are stronger than you, who are, who are more advanced than you, and you put yourself around these, these kind of men, and it'll force you to get stronger. I was the fattest man in the gym two years ago. And by being, by being the least strong and being the most big and putting myself around people who are further than me, things changed in my life. So I see something in you that I want. I see something in you that my family actually needs me to be, which is to have enough energy to, to play with them and to wrestle with them and to, to take them fishing and to, and to be a, the kind of dad that can be active. We need to be followers of good friends. Then there's the peer relationship. We need to be able to stand together. It's just, 
just having those people who are in your life, who you're doing life with, and you can look across and say, we're in this together. The four other friends looked at this guy and said, this isn't just you being paralyzed. This is us joining ourselves to you. And as long as you're paralyzed, we're a little bit paralyzed too, and we're going to do this together. We're in this with you. We're not above you. We're not below you. We're with you, and we're with you together. So you have your peer relationships that are so critical. When Jesus called his disciples, it's not because he needed a whole bunch of friends. It's because they needed friends. You could be completely fulfilled with Jesus if he was like, walking with you. And, and, but he's like, he's like, no, not even, not even just walking with me is going to be enough. You're going to need one another. Because there's going to there's gonna come a time where, where I'm not with you anymore and you're going to be me to each other. He called the, I said that badly, but he called, he called the disciples to himself, for himself, but for, for each other. That's important to understand. We get this idea that, that I'm just going to do life by myself because it's me and Jesus and, and I'm going to do this thing and, and I'm going I'm to run it and I'm going to be like the, um, oh gosh, what's, what's that? What are those movies, those Christmas movies with all the explosions? Die Hard. Die hard. Is that a Christmas movie or not a Christmas movie? It's a, Christ, it's a movie at Christmas. We all feel like we're going to go out like die hard and we're going to do it all by ourselves and we're going to just conquer the world because we're great and I got Jesus. Instead of respecting the design that he's given us. Part of God making us in his image is that he has always existed in perfect community with himself as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit lived in perfect unity deferring to one another of the same substance, but he exists in perfect community and in perfect bond with himself and he desires that same thing for us that we would experience the same thing. And that's why he doesn't just call you or me separately, but he calls us together. At the end of this, um, at the end of this account, I'm sorry, no, in in verse five, he says, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven. It wasn't one person's faith that stirred God in this account. It was them together. They got the pleasure of God. They got God's attention. And when we do life together and when we walk with one another, when we set our preferences aside and and when when we seek and purpose to love one another beyond our differences and we rally at the cross and we were unified in spirit by him, that he looks and he goes, this is something that's pleasing to me. You've got my attention. What needs to happen? Well, God, we need you to heal our community. Would he be able to say because of their faith? Because of their unity, their sins are forgiven. I'll I'll heal your community. I'll heal your pain. I don't know how you imagine these friends, but I imagine them all being different colors. I imagine them with different shades of skin. Just because I think that's beautiful. 
If God was colorblind, he wouldn't have made us different colors. I think there's beauty in distinction. We can go into such detail in Revelation about the colors and the stones and the precious jewels. It's not our color or our culture that defines us, but it should be Christ. And in the shadow of the cross, in Christ with one another, color becomes something that's beautiful and, and, and amazing. It becomes something that's it's certainly important, but it's not the most important. It's a distinction, but it doesn't define us. What defines us is our faith. The third friend that we learn about and the fifth friend is that we need to be friends who lead. There is a time where we look to our friend who is the paralytic and we say, I need to take you to Jesus. Let me show you how to get to Jesus. You need this for your life. You need a touch from God. You need something that nobody else, no other place on earth, can you get what it is that you need? Let me take you to it. We have a responsibility to share the things that we've learned. In Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission, we call it, Jesus says, uh, go and um, go therefore and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you to do. He's saying, as I've spent this time with you over the last three years instructing you and training you about the, the value of the kingdom of heaven, the ways of the kingdom of heaven, how to walk with me and please me and how to, how to be one with me, now go and take this to the rest of the world. and Do it together. And so it, it reasons that when they went out and they started sharing this revelation with people, they started sharing this truth with people, they started sharing the message of salvation with people, that people were starting to flock together and they joined themselves to one another. They didn't just get the word and run off by themselves and hide, but they, they came together. They worshiped together. They lived life together. They cared for one another. They sacrificed for one another. I want to um, very briefly just highlight a couple things so that we can have some realistic ex- expectations about friendship. We have to be careful about the expectations that we bring to friendship because uh, we can bring things that are selfish in our expectations. And we can have unrealistic expectations of the people that we want to be our friends. You hear a message like this and you're like, great, these are going to be my friends. So everybody's going to be my friend and we're all friends and we're going to spend time and we're going to have the same interest and it's going to be wonderful and it's going to be good and nobody's ever going to interrupt it. Nobody's ever going to leave and, and we're all going to be together. <laughs> or the opposite and you're like, uh, whatever, I'm going to try and they're not going to listen and they're going to walk away from me and nobody's going to pay attention to me and I'm going to be on the outside and nobody's going to love me and uh, whatever, so I'm not even going to try. I've been both of those people. (laughs) Depending on the day, I am both of those people. Here's some realities about friendship. Though they carried their friend to Jesus, though they opened it up, though they lowered him down, they couldn't believe for him. He needed to have his own faith. There's this 
uh, with the guys I work out with, there's this, there's this thing. Actually, Tim on the worship team was, was doing this thing. We call it the prowler. And it's a torture device that they put a lot of weight on. And then you push this sled across the, uh, across the floor. It, it is, it's awful. It's the worst thing that we do at the gym. But we put it on and, and the guy has to push it by himself, you know, down and back. And by the time you're about, you get down and you're like, okay, I'm a stud. I'm doing it. But you get halfway back and you want to die. You just want to stop. The lactic acid's all built up in your legs and you're collapsing, like your leg's giving out. You know, it's like where the, you, you, like you're just kind of falling and you're shaking and you're like, you just, you can't even, you can't do it. It's, it's, it seems impossible. And then we, we rally around the guy and we all start cheering for the guy. And we're like, come on, come on, come on. And, and when, when Tim was doing it one day, I was like, man, he's got to push this on his own. All we can do is encourage him and strengthen him and cheer him on. And, but, but he's going to have to be the one who gets it done. There's this place where we go in Jesus where nobody can believe for you. I can believe for your relationship. I can believe for your marriage. I can believe for your finances. But until you activate your faith for those things, God's not going to be able to meet you the way he desires to. And so it's the job of the the faith-filled friend, the excited friend, to stir your faith and let you know what's possible. But you've got to grab onto it at some point and say, I hear my friends. I hear this, 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 this group of witnesses. I hear the counsel of my friends saying that God can do this. I'm going to start to believe that God can do this. Despite my past experience, despite my pain, despite my sorrow, d- despite my disappointment, I'm going to believe, I'm going to put my faith in Jesus Christ that he can do this. Uh, Christian fellowship does not mean or Christian friendship doesn't mean an absence of offense. You know, we all love as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another man. Have you ever watched Iron Sharpen Iron? It ain't clean. <laughs> it's a rough process. And we're not exempt from that because we're Christians. It will give you the opportunity to grow. <laughs> because you will have the opportunity to be offended and to forgive. To be the offender and the forgivee. It's going to give you an opportunity to repent. I'm sorry for the way I said that. Not, I'm sorry if what I said offended you. Or if you thought what I said was offensive. (laughs) One of those backwards, (laughs) one of those backwards apologies. You know, like, yeah, I'm really sorry about that. It's just that you made me do it. So really, this is your fault. But I'm sorry that it was inconvenient because you're terrible. <laughs> gives, you the kind of, gives you the kind of opportunity to repent and say, I'm sorry. I didn't. I, I, I did it wrong. Will you forgive me? Because you did it wrong first. <laughs> You're supposed to say that quieter because you did it first. Friendships grow and change. They do. It's not going to stay the same. What you had in college, you know, the, the, the number one struggle for people getting out of college is like that you feel so disconnected. Well, yeah, you're not living in the same room and you've got a job. Like, welcome to responsibilities. <laughs> but they grow and they change. Friendships happen on purpose. The grass is greener where you water it. 
That's the same point. It's not a separate one. A lot of growth comes from not our points of agreement, but our points of contrast. I don't need somebody who's going to just agree with me on everything. I need a friend who's going to call me out and tell me when I'm being bitter. We've got to be ready to make new friends. You know, I think that's, that's the death of a lot of friendships. It's the death of a lot of people who are in a congregation. Is You make friends with the people who are kind of sitting around you. Maybe, I hope. But then somebody moves on because they got a job or they need to go care for loved ones or for whatever reason people move and then but you kind of closed off that seat and you're like, I'm out of friends. If you stay at a church long enough, everybody that you knew when you got here either won't be there or they'll be harder to find. And so it's important that we do make room for new friends in our in our lives. And just make a friend because you can. That's coming from somebody who's not good at making friends. No, really, I'm, I'm good at like this, like, that's the next point. Not everyone will be your friend, and that's okay. <laughs> if you want to be my friend, you're going to put up with a lot of missed phone calls and a lot of missed texts. You're going to, not that I'm calling you and texting you a lot, and not that way. I mean, you'll be like, is he dead? Because I haven't heard from him. In three months, and it's like that's the best kind of friend. <laughs> no, JC, JC's like, yes, we are great friends because we never talk. <laughs> Gentlemen, um, I know we contend towards that because we're men, but uh, great men accomplish great things with other great men. So I'm not asking you, I hope you didn't hear in any of this, we got to hold each other's kneecaps and like just like, oh yeah, we're friends. Let's sit down and have coffee. No, go conquer something. Light something on fire. I'll meet you for coffee the first time just because I don't want to scare you. But like we should knock some stuff over and throw some stuff and yell and break something. That's, I'm just saying. Or play, a, or play a guitar, whatever, and then smash it. <laughs> hey, so real quick, just because I'm having fun, uh, do you mind if I share some ways that friendships are like nachos? Yes. And, then, and, then, <laughs> and then we'll land this thing. Here's some ways that friendships are like nachos. Internet, I hope you're paying attention. They can be messy, but they're worth it. Every bite is different. There's unity and diversity. They work towards the same delicious goal. Every bite, you know, a little guacamole on that one, a little chicken on that one, a little steak on that one, a little jalapeno on that one, a little onion on that one, right? Each, it, yeah, come on. <laughs> we need the Reggie, come on, brother. Come up and play the, play the organ for me. <laughs> We're better together. Just like a plate of nachos. One chip by itself is a, is a travesty. It's, 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 a, it's sad, isn't it? It's sad. You're like, you're eating it and you're like, it's the last chip. And it's all by himself. And it shouldn't be that way. 
He should be with all of his friends in my belly. There is, a such, there, there is such thing as too much. That must have been right after a Bible study that I read that. That one's from the Holy Spirit because I wouldn't have ever said that. The devil's lying maybe. That's, there's not too much. The really good ones take a lot of time to make. Yeah. You can't just, you got to take some time. You got to like really season the chicken before. Like the best nachos I've made are when I've like, seasoned the chicken, grilled the chicken, cut it up, and then you do everything. You're like, it's all like a multi-step process. It's like launching a space shuttle to make good nachos in, in my world, right? And, and it's not done in the microwave. You got to cook it in the oven. I'm just saying. So the best ones take some time. It takes time to build the best ones. Have church today. But the really simple ones are still delicious and hit the mark just some chips and cheese in the microwave it still tastes good it's still a benefit it's still encouraging it's still fun I'm sure you can come up with additional ways they're like nachos I believe that it's God's desire that we would find the friends that I talked about here today among one another I know I'm not saying that you shouldn't have friends in other churches. Yes, have friends in other churches. Yes, make friendships across the ministries. Make friends in different places. But, but if you can't find those people, if you don't have those people here yet, it's time to find those people here. It's time to find those people who, who, are, who are near you and close to you and can, can see you and look you in the eyes and tell you when you're not doing well because you don't realize you're not doing well yet. It's finding those people that, that will notice if you're gone on a Sunday. We're going to grow as a congregation. And as we grow, it's going to be important that we are intentional about finding these relationships. It doesn't become less important. It becomes more important. The reality, this is a muscle that most of us didn't flex 50 people ago. And so some of us are already feeling lonely. But God desires for us to find these relationships. Wherever it is that you are, whatever church it is that you're a part of, whatever people it is that you're a part of, so that you can get to the feet of Jesus and walk in the fullness of his calling and purpose for you. Amen? Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for friendship today. We thank you that you designed us with friendship in mind. God, I just, I just want to honor you for your goodness today. What treasures you've given us in one another. You've hidden treasure in every single one of us. And you're calling us to mine it out of one another.